The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. Well, we've been working through the book of Romans, and last few weeks we've been in Romans 8. We finish up Romans 8 this week, and then next week we'll get just the first few verses of Romans 9. And then the following week, I want to make sure you know so that you can be here that Shannon Lewis will be preaching. Where is Shannon? Where are you? Where are you, brother? There you are, Shannon and the, his whole family here. The Lewises are all the way from South Sudan, Africa, just to be a guest here today. Wasn't that nice of them? That was so sweet of y'all. And, and on, to Cherry on top, Benton broke his leg in a soccer game a couple weeks ago. Benton, I just wanted you to make sure you got all the love and attention that you deserve today. That dude's big, man. He used to be down here like he's way up. I'm like, yes, sir. I feel like saying sir to him, but... Uh, Davis and Walker. Is Walker back in the back or is he in here? He's back in the back. All right. Well, Carrie, it's good to have you all here. Um, But he'll be preaching not next week, but the following week, February 7th. And then February 28th, one of our other missionaries, Kyle Jaggers, who is leading a church plant down in New Orleans, he will be preaching on February 28th. So mark your calendars. You'll want to hear from them. It's always great to hear what God is doing uh, in and through them where God has placed them as missionaries. And so, uh, but last week we, we well, in Romans 8.1 begins just an incredible chapter in Romans. And in 8.1 we have this incredible summary statement that Paul leads up to with all that he's been teaching in Romans. And in 8.1 he brings it to a summary conclusion saying, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that, that, that is a mind-boggling statement. And that's the summary of the implication of the gospel, is now in Christ there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so Paul stated it negatively there, no condemnation. Positively, he worked through, and we've been seeing that's the same as unconditional love and acceptance in Christ And so Paul has been teaching us that for those who believe in the gospel, the gospel message that is the power of God unto salvation, that those who believe that God justifies ungodly sinners through Christ, that those who put their hope and trust and faith in the blood of Christ as the only way to have their sins forgiven, they are in Christ, and being in Christ, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's a beautiful message and a beautiful gift. He said last week that when you sin and you doubt whether God can love you, even as you sin, he says, remember this. He says, remember in Christ, you're given credit for Christ's perfection. That it's his love for you is not contingent upon your performance. We live in a very performance-driven culture. He says, listen, God's love for you is not dependent upon your performance for Him. He adopted you as a son. He adopted you as His child. He has nothing but love and acceptance for you. Just like a perfect father should have for his children, it doesn't mean that their status is ever in doubt, even when they mess up. Unconditional love and acceptance, even when you sin... He says, you have that in Christ. But he also says that God's love is unconditionally clear and available to you in your suffering. This life is filled with struggles and suffering. And Paul says, does that make you ever think that God is mad at you? You ever stop and think, well, how could God love me if he allowed this to happen in my life? And he says, listen, I want you to never doubt 
the unconditional love of God for you. There is no condemnation. This is not, suffering is not God condemning you in Christ. It's not God punishing you in Christ. Paul explained last week, God is sovereignly working all things together. Even suffering, he's working it together for your good. And we're going to see all throughout these verses, Paul is emphasizing the sovereignty of God. What is sovereignty? Well, that's a term that we use of a king is sovereign over his kingdom. He's the ultimate authority of everything that goes on in his kingdom. And sometimes that's a hard concept to get. But I want to point out a few clarifications here so that we don't ever misunderstand. Some scriptures emphasize the sovereignty of God. Some scriptures emphasize the responsibility of man. Both are very clearly taught in the scriptures. God is the ultimate being, the all-powerful one who spoke humanity and creation into existence. Surely there is nothing, when you read the scriptures, surely there is nothing that can limit God and his sovereignty. At the same time, And the mysterious, it's hard for us to understand how, but at the same time, it is as clear in scriptures that man is absolutely responsible and accountable to trust God, to believe in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins, to live for his glory, and to know that they are responsible in every decision they make is a real decision for which they are accountable for. So when we come to these texts, which are all Paul exalting the sovereign God, he is not eliminating the responsibility of man. And sometimes because of that struggle in our brains, because it's hard to to bring that strain and to reconcile it or to make sense of it, we don't enjoy one or the other. Those of us who clearly exalt the sovereign God may have have the danger of remembering that man is responsible. Those who are really clear that man is responsible, may be in danger of enjoying the sovereignty of God. And so what I want to say is, let's for a moment understand, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, man is still responsible to believe in Christ. Man is still accountable for their sin. Man still must evangelize and share the gospel and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. All of that is clearly taught in the scriptures. And so, I'm not saying that's not true, but... Don't let your commitment to that forfeit the beautiful truth of a sovereign God. And that's what Paul does when he gets to this section of scriptures. God is so big and so sovereign. The logic of his argument is that if God is doing this for you in Christ, how will he not also do anything you need? Freely give you everything. And so to... To exalt God and His sovereignty is a glorious truth that He does in this passage without eliminating the responsibility of man. But to enjoy the sovereignty of God and the bigness of God, that He is the ultimate being, the ultimate judge, the one who is providentially, mysteriously working in and through all things for your good. Enjoy it. Rest in it. Find blessing in that. It's, it's been a 20-year journey in my life. When I first started hearing and grasping the truth that God is sovereign, it disturbed me at first. I was like, well, then why pray? If God's sovereign, then what does it matter what I do? Why pray? And the Lord started graciously walking me down a journey of finding peace and rest. And now I look back and go, okay, why would I want to pray to a God who's not sovereign? 
I mean, what good would it do if he may or may not be able to do something about it? So don't resist it because both are true in the scriptures. How do you reconcile them? As long as if if you go and have coffee and you're talking about how to reconcile, that's fine. As long as you know everyone's on on these boundaries. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. Both are true. I don't understand it, but also don't understand how a plane flies, but I get on them and I fly. So it's the height of arrogance for us to say, well, that can't be true because I can't explain it. That's ridiculous. I can't explain how the sun orbits. I can't explain. I don't even know what orbits what. But I, I can't explain it. It doesn't make it less any less true. God's word reveals these two are true. God's sovereign. Man's responsible. And Paul is focusing today and in this part of scriptures on the sovereignty of God so that we can find peace and rest. Peace from guilt that haunts us and rest from worry and fears and anxiety that haunt us or that burden us looking forward. So let's look at what Paul has to say. How, how is, how, what is Paul saying here today compared to what he said before? Today, he finishes up chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. And in these verses, Paul drives home these glorious truths deep into our heart that he's been saying. And Paul summarizes everything he's been saying this way in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? If this God, this awesome, enormous creator, all-powerful being of the universe, if he's for you, who could be against you? And he asked a series of rapid-fire questions, and it's, it, it, it's all driven by logic. If you're a logical person, you'll really like the way he structures these. He's saying, think about it. If you have guilt over past sin, think about it. If you're worried about what the future holds for you, think about this. I'm not saying these are quick fixes and and you'll never have guilt or worry or fear and anxiety again. But I am saying that if you learn to think deeply on these truths and these realities, it is the key to battling guilt and condemnation over the past and worry and fear and anxiety over the future. He says, if God is for you, who in the world could be against you? In verse 32, he goes on. Here's the logic. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all who are in Christ, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So do you see where Paul goes with this point? God is for you. What do you mean? Look at Christ. And look at this big, sovereign God who has been working since before the foundations of the earth to bring to a head Jesus on the cross for you. If you understand he's done this for you, then surely you know he's for you. Surely you know he's not against you. That's what his logic is in this argument. If Christ 
came for you to set you free from the penalty of sin, to set you free from the power of sin, and to one day finally guarantees he will set you free from the very presence of sin. If he did all of that for you in Christ, how will he not also freely give you everything that you need? How could we ever doubt? His unconditional love and acceptance. How could we ever think we're condemned in Christ? How could we not know God is for you in Christ? It's a very encouraging message. Let's ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father, we ask for your help. Sometimes these things are inexplicably grind and ground deep into our hearts and just hearing facts doesn't touch the source of the problem, Lord. We need your spirit to go deep into our hearts. Set us free from condemnation and guilt over past sin and set us free from worry and fear and anxieties over the future. Lord, I pray your spirit will move powerfully through the proclamation of your truth and your word inspired by you that you will set people free. It's in Christ and we pray, amen. So let's look at how God is for you in the same two categories. God is for you in your struggle with sin and God is for you in your struggle with suffering. Verse 33, how is God, we'll see how God is for you in your struggle with sin. Look what he says in verse 33. He asks a question and it's question after question after question, driving the logic. Think about it. If this, then this. If this, then this. Who, he says, think about it. Verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who? Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So who is going to bring a charge against God's elect? It's the question of logic. Think about it. Who's going to bring the charge? And so these words picture the final day of judgment. It's a courtroom scene where God is judge and you are standing there, the accused before the judge. And on one side is your defense attorney. On the other side is the prosecuting attorney. You're the accused. And Paul is saying, now, who will bring a charge against God's elect on that day? Now, to understand this, who are God's elect? There's different ways of talking about this from man's perspective, from God's perspective. From man's perspective, last week he said, God's elect are those who love Christ. You're responsible to love Christ. You're only talking about Christians here, those who are in Christ, those who have faith in Christ. From God's perspective, it's those who he called to Christ, those whom he foreknew. He doesn't worry about your understanding of exactly this is the basis of foreknowledge. Is it that God chose and so therefore you believed? Or is it you believed and therefore God chose? You can talk about that till the cows come home in that boundary of God is sovereign, man is responsible. But what he's saying is just know that there are the elect and look at what God has done for them. It's important to understand this is the logic that if you understand the sovereign God and what he's done for believers, he says this is the secret to finding peace over the past and the future. 
So we need to understand what is he saying here. He says that the elect, he asked the question, who will bring a charge against them? Paul's addressing the concern of believers and their sin who feel guilty over sin and and feel condemned and feel like God is condemning them. And and the final day, he's going to say, bring that up and he's going to condemn you for it. He's saying to the believer, no. In verse 33, the second part, if your logical answer is, who will bring a charge against the elect if you think, well, God? He says, God? God's the one who justified you. God's the one who's been working since the beginning of time to declare you not guilty. He says, no, you may feel condemned. Satan may, the accuser, his name is called in the Bible, the accuser may say, guilty. You know what you did. How dare you go to church? You're not worthy of praying. You're not worthy of worshiping God, you hypocrite. Share the gospel. Go on a mission trip. Are you kidding me? You loser. That's Satan. That's the accuser. That's not God. Who's going to bring a a charge against you? God? No. He says God is the one who justifies. He asked, who is the one who condemns? Well, maybe Jesus. Jesus? He says Christ Jesus, he is the one who died. More than that, he's the one who rose from the grave. He's at the right hand of God doing what? Advocating for you. He's your defense attorney. He's interceding on your behalf. And when you sin, he's going, hey, God, I got him covered with my blood. He's mine. He's one of ours. Don't hold this against him. Now think about the absurdity of the picture. The accused standing here, the judge, God, the father standing there, Jesus, the the defense attorney saying, he's ours, don't hold this against him, then going, I've got a charge I want to bring against him. It doesn't make sense. God has been working to justify you. Jesus has died to justify you and currently intercedes on your behalf. Who's going to stand here and condemn you? The answer, nobody. God is the supreme judge of the universe. And he has been working since eternity's past to today and will guarantee to the end those whom he foreknew. He also predestined and he also called and he also justified and he also glorified what God has been doing. He will finish Who in the world could bring a charge against God's believers? Nobody. Too many times, believers live riddled with guilt over some past sin. God is telling you today, I do not condemn you for your past divorce. God is telling you today, I do not condemn you for that abortion. God is telling you today, I do not condemn you for that affair. God is telling you today, I do not condemn you for that crime for which you went to jail. God is telling you today, I do not condemn you 
for anything if you have trusted in Christ. It is all over. God is for you. He's not against you. This is not going to give you a license to sin. When not that going to lead people to say, well, sin all the more then? No, may it never be, Paul says. Well, how so? Because if when you hear the gospel of grace that, that we just went through, and it says sin all the more, then you're not in his grace. Those who are in his grace, those who get that glorious gospel that God is for me in Christ, there is no condemnation in Christ, it fuels the fight against sin. And if you don't find that in you, then you should not have any confidence that you are in Christ because that is the reality. Those who are in Christ hate sin and it's the love of the Heavenly Father that fuels their fight to live for Him and to fight against that sin. God is for you in your struggle with sin. Secondly, and the only other point we have is Paul says, God is for you in your struggle with suffering. Look at verse 35 and following. Paul lists this litany of of stress and tribulation and things that cause us to have anxiety and fear and things that we wonder if we would endure, if we would still claim faith in Christ. He says, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. And Paul quotes Psalm 44, 22, and he says that this, he says, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep going to the slaughter. He's referring to God's people suffering at the hands of the ungodly. And then he describes in verse 38, the list goes on and it covers everything, death or life, angels, principalities, present or future, height or depth, any created thing. He says, none of it will be able to separate you from his love. Nothing you can imagine, nothing you can create or come up with. How in the world does a person who has the list, the line of people, and they're being asked one by one, are you a Christian or pledge your allegiance to some other God? And those who are in Christ have their heads chopped off. How in the world does that person when it's their turn, say, I'm in Christ. Because the God who foreknew him predestined them to glory and guarantees they will make it to the end, no matter what. Nothing separates him. Nobody can snatch his children out of his arms. Mothers, you know, how hard you're going to fight to hold on to your children who are in danger. That ain't nothing compared to what God does for his children. In fact, he says, not only does that not separate you from the love of God, not only will, will all these things not separate you from him, but he says you're actually more than conquerors. This is, 
addressing the question that I've heard before when, when I'm trying to think about these things and, and try to help someone not have anxiety. And they say, yeah, but bad things happen. They still happen to Christians. And I'd say, absolutely. Christians get cancer. Christians have tragic accidents that seem so unfair. Christians lose loved ones. Christians experience tragedies. Christians are falsely accused. Christians are persecuted. Christians are imprisoned. Christians are killed. Paul doesn't belittle that. Paul doesn't say, well, if you're in Christ, that won't happen. He says, if you're in Christ, you are more than a conqueror of these things. And he explained what that means. It means that you are not going to be broken by it. You're going to be strengthened by it. Suffering makes you. It doesn't break you. He makes sure that these things somehow only make you stronger. Only enhance your experience of God and His glory forever and ever and ever. The best illustration I can imagine of this has been shared many times. And it's the idea of going to a symphony, going to see an incredible performance of a symphony like Beethoven's number nine or Mozart's number 41, two of the best ever symphonies. And I know that because I Googled it. (laughs) I had no idea what those are. I can't even say them with a straight face. Beethoven and Mozart, I know. But imagine going, me, not even knowing what those are, and sitting down and seeing a hundred or so musicians, strings, brass, woodwinds, percussion instruments. I know nothing about this. I've never played an instrument. I tried to help them today. They're like, no thanks. But I can enjoy the amazing performance of all these different instruments and all these different notes being brought together in a powerful, moving harmony, melody that just brings you to tears. I can enjoy that in all my ignorance. But think about the violinist who spent an entire lifetime whittling their fingers to callous nubs, bleeding, trying to learn how to play the violin, putting all that sweat and time and energy into it, sacrificing many freedoms. Everyone else is outside playing and she's in there learning how to play the violin. And she finally gets to go and hear this symphony. Oh, I know she has a greater enjoyment of it than I did. Think about the composer. Their entire life's work is finally coming to fruition. And it's just, ah, yes. Surely the composer has a greater enjoyment than even the violinist. I think that's the way it's going to be for eternity. Those who suffer the most, I believe, will enjoy him the greatest forever and ever and ever. Because every trial... Every difficulty, every bit of suffering only enhances your relationship with God, your dependence on His grace, your knowledge experientially with Him. I had someone come up after the first service and said, I've had over 40 surgeries. I fell 20 feet. 
I had a wreck that crashed my face. And it all brought me to God. I can't say that, but the person going through it can say it. And I've seen it in hospital visits, at people's deathbeds, that they are able to say, to God be the glory for this pain, because it's brought me closer to Him. So does suffering cause you to doubt God's love? He says, don't. Don't let it doubt cause you to doubt His love. He has purpose in the pain. You know, I heard an illustration once, or I read it. It, 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 it was about a bear whose leg was caught in a bear trap. And he's in extraordinary pain. And a man comes along and sees it and wants to set him free from the pain. But the bear is fighting at every corner because he doesn't understand what's going on. Isn't that possible with us and God that we can't understand what's going on, but God is doing something good for us? And if you doubt it, look at the cross. Think about it. Logically, Paul is saying, think about it. What is the cross? The cross is the greatest travesty in the history of humanity. God, it appears, lost. It appears that God got killed. Looks like evil won. Looks like Satan defeated God. But what do we know was really going on? God took it and turned it on its head and said, this is the greatest victory of all time. That is where he paid for your sin and mine. God's doing that every day. He's bringing good for his people, even through what seems like unbelievable suffering and illogical and injustice pain. God is working for your good in Christ. So as you think about the future, I don't pretend that if you struggle with anxiety that all of a sudden you just won't struggle anymore. I don't pretend that you won't have fear of the future, but I pray that you know this is where the battle is fought. Spiritual warfare, praying and reading and seeing this massive God who's not only sovereign, but he's loving. He is working all things for your good. He is making you more than a conqueror. Not only is he going to keep you from turning away from him if you're in Christ, but he's going to use it for your good. And for the ultimate eternal glory that you will enjoy with him. So Paul is trying to set us free. Set us free from guilt about the things in the past. And free from fear and worry and anxiety about the future. The more we understand and appreciate God's sovereignty. Not to the exclusion of man's responsibility. The more peace. Rest. Assurance we can enjoy. The more we understand and believe that the all-powerful God of the universe is for us, the more we realize that no one can really be against us. And if God is for us, 
and justifies us, then who can condemn us? Answer, no one. If God is for us and not only conquers suffering, but actually uses suffering for our good, then why should we fear or worry about what we might face in the future? We shouldn't. If God is for us, what's the worst thing that can happen to us? Death? What is death? Oh, death, where is your sting? What is death? It's a transition to the end of suffering. Thank you for putting me out of the suffering. I pray that God takes these truths and drives them deep into your heart so that you are set free to worship Him, to serve Him, to share His glory, to share His good news from neighbors to nations. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise You for this glorious message that You inspired Paul to write to us that brings deep peace and healing to our hearts. Lord, I pray Your Spirit brings a ministry of the Word to our hearts that those who have been captivated in a prison of self-condemnation and accusation, that they would be set free and look at the cross and say, if God did that for me in Christ, then who is there to bring a charge? Not God. God justifies. Not Jesus. Jesus justifies and intercedes daily. I pray that we'll be set free from guilt and condemnation over the things of the past. And I pray that it will be fuel for us to fight, to live for your glory each day and to hate sin and to wage war with it for your glory. And Lord, I pray those who are riddled with anxieties and fears over the future and the things that could happen, may they have such a massive, enormous view of who you are and how loving you are and that they would know deep within their soul that God is for them and is going to use it all for great greatness and for glory in their life. And Lord, I pray that those here who are outside of Christ will hear this glorious message and fall to their knees and cry out for God to justify them in Christ. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. For whom shall I fear if you are for us? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.